Archers, attack! Keep firing! Let none escape! Another down! Do not relent! Welcome, book buddies. It's me, your book buddy, Slide Whistle. It's me, your other book buddy, Immunization. It's me, literary legend, Aaron! I would like to come into like the 2006-2007 era Kane background music, if you could uh, put that in right here. Okay, I can try. Oh, I think Vince McMahon might have my ass for that, but I'll see what I can do. I feel like that era of Kane is very topical, you know, since we're all wearing masks already. You know what? No, oh, that's love... when that's when he didn't have a mask. That's when he was oh, ugly, that was when the bald big... head potato oh, came. Oh, never mind. So that's very topical to Kane nowadays as the mayor of Knox County. I was just going to say, there's a lot of, I saw a meme that was like, if Kane can wear a mask in the Royal Rumble and throw out 10 people in 60 minutes, you can wear a mask. But Kane is anti-mask right now. <laughs> Oh, no, that hardly surprises me coming from the WWE, but, oh, Kane, come on. But yes, this is episode 83 of Do Not Relent, and this week is DNR's Book Club, because we all just finished reading Shadows Rising, and this whole episode will be a spoiler alert about that novel, so... If you don't want to hear us talk about it yet or ever, you can skip this episode until you read it or until you care or just skip it, I guess. I don't like that you gave them the out of until they care because there's some people who will never listen to this episode now. Well, I mean, I guess we're kind of funny even if you don't know what we're talking about, maybe, hopefully. There's a contest. Stick around for the contest. Don't go yet. Well, I'm just going to pull the Band-Aid off now. Last week, we announced a Shadows Rising contest in which if you wrote to us a little bit about what your character had been doing between BFA and Shadowlands, we were going to give you an exclusive signed copy of Shadows Rising. We announced that it was a one-week contest, but shipping has been fun and has extended the contest for everyone. So... The polls are still open. Write to us about what your character's been doing, and you are entered into a chance to win a book with our signatures and some neat little stuff. Oh, we're going to sign it? We're going to deface the book with our signatures? Hell yeah. Yes, they they will not get the vanilla experience. They will have to open this book every day and know that we have put our filthy paws upon it. We should get a fun sticker. A DNR sticker? No, just like a cucumber or some vegetable. And yeah, you know, just like... So they can just, pull it off if they don't like it. Just go to one of those, like, little quarter things. Put a quarter in. Get, like, a Hello Kitty sticker. Maybe, like, her little penguin friend. And you just know, stick, stick that right over Talanji's face on the cover here. Ooh, ooh. I can do the thing that I used to do in middle school and, like, everyone in my school used to do in middle school. I could just, like, buy a pack of five gum and then just, like, peel off the, like, top, like, metallic part of it and then stick it on the book. What are you talking That's... about? Why are you putting gum on books? No, everyone not the knows gum, the that gum you wrapper. chew the gum wrapper. Was five the one where the gum wrapper was also made of gum? No, no. This is, like, the... I don't know. It's, like, kind of holographic looking. 
I covering I, for the gum. I I believe I've seen it, and I've seen people do what you were telling, but mostly that was just me uttering the fact that people I knew, I forgot which brand of gum, but they were like, you can just chew the wrapper, and I don't think you could just Boy. chew the wrapper. No. Yeah, I guess isn't the point of the wrapper be to like keep the gum sanitary as well? So it's like. Especially in the era of COVID, I don't know if you should be chewing gum wrappers. I think a lot of people in West Middle School were just eating wax paper. My school was just ghetto, and instead you, we had the big red gum wrappers, and if you lick it and stick it to your forehead, it would burn your forehead. So that that's what we were doing. <laughs> that's such a middle school thing. Like, oh, if you do this and then do this, it hurts. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then meanwhile, like, I was, like, the poorest person in my school because it was a rich Catholic school where, like, all these just rich, like, suburban white kids went and I was really out of place for a lot of reasons. But, yeah, I guess five gum is probably more a more expensive gum, maybe. I don't know. That felt like a really sad story coming and then you just went and took five gums expensive. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was quite the setup for, like... I guess I didn't eat a lot of five gum. I mean, I always <laughs> borrowed it from other people, so... Oh, <laughs> Wait, you gave it back? Oh, you had to give no. it back at the end of the day? <laughs> you, you chewed it and gum? then gave it back to them in their palm of their hand? <sighs> okay, so, you know, borrowed in the sense of, like, they're not getting anything back. So stealing. I see. You were so poor you had to steal gum. You were I mean, a street urchin it. who was stealing gum. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. That's my origin story. Okay, before we get into this book, let me take off my fucking shirt, because it's hot again in here. I'm already ahead of you. <laughs> I'm just gonna be sweaty. Also, I'm happy to report, I no longer have to stare at Demune's face. We are facing different directions now. <laughs> I can see you in the reflection of my computer tower. He is, in fact, shirtless now. Creep. Ooh, hubba hubba. All right, but we got a book to talk about, a book to tear apart and to uh, kiss a bunch. What if we sign the book in our in lipstick? We kiss it. <laughs> we kiss each page. What is this? <laughs> like, did we just get like triple eliminated from RuPaul's Drag Race this episode? Yes. I do like that. I was like, oh, like a kiss. Like, that'd be like kind of a haha funny joke. But you did say kiss every page. And there are like 270 pages to this thing. That's a lot of kisses. I'm going to run out of kiss energy. Well, I think we can handle it. We can handle it. We have to. Okay, where do we even start? Like, how do we start from the beginning of the book? We talk about what we like the most about the book. We talk about how Shaw and Flynn are making out in the back of this boat. Like, where do we start? Yeah. I mean, that's where I want to start, but I guess we can okay. uh, work so, our way up to that. <laughs> or, so, or just dive right into that. Yeah, so I want to say, because before the book even came out, the trending tab of Twitter told me, I guess we already did spoilers, so I'm just going to say it, Spymaster Shaw and Flynn Fairwind are in like a pseudo relationship. Did it say that they were for each other? It pretty much said that they both really like each other and that they were going to get together at the bar to talk about it, right? So the entire time I was reading this book and whenever it was a chapter about them, I'm like, it's going to get gay. It's going to get gay. And th there was not even a kiss. There was not even an admission of love. I ended this book and I was like, that shit wasn't gay enough. It was all so like coded. It was because like I felt like I was like I feel like I'm reading like a romance novel right now. When they were on that boat, the the waves were rocking them and they crashed into each other. I was like, are they gonna kiss right here? But they didn't. But then Shaw went, 
I just breathed in the fucking musk of Flynn. And I was like, whoa, okay. Yeah, and then he proceeded to describe the scent of Flynn for like a paragraph and a half. I'm like, wait, is Shaw gay? Yeah, I mean, because you didn't know any of this going into it, right? I don't think you do. I did not. Somehow I stayed spoiler free for this book. I just, all I knew going into this is that it was before the Shadowlands expansion. And I assumed after current content in BFA. That's all I knew. So it was very surprising to me. I don't know. It's nice to see that there's like various casual LGBT representation throughout this book as Mm -hmm. well. Can you believe that that troll lady has a wife? Why? Honestly, I read that and I wanted to put the book down right there. I wanted to say, oh, not in my fantasy. (laughs) And then I saw a few people like worked up about Flynn and Shaw in general about how it's just like, you know world of woke craft or whatever and i'm just like there's nothing that had really been presented that in the game said that they couldn't have you know fallen for each other like all we knew about flynn going into this was that he possibly had a crush on someone with you know raven colored hair and it implied it was a crush on talia but then also he said that he had previously been in relationships with both men and women so it kind of implied that he was by in the questing experience with him i also feel what? like there's like zero information on matthias shaw so like anything we learn about him is like oh yes this is brand new stuff because this man's just like a stoic spy who doesn't say a damn thing yeah and like if it had been like oh these guys are straight the only way to prove that would have been if, like, you slipped in an NPC called, like, Flynn Fairwind's girlfriend. And then it would have been a nothing character to be like, um, there, there's, like, his his heterosexual totem might as well have inclusiveness in your story and have it be between two, like, actual real characters instead of just being a Mia Greyman who is just, like, it's just Gen's wife. That's... <laughs> The only reason she exists <laughs> is to prove that Gen Greymane is straight. Hey, she's a selfless hero who saved some some people at Teldrassil. She had her moment for like a second. Growlina may have only saved 13 Worgen at Teldrassil. Me had never left the cave. This is my call out post on my Twitter.com. She didn't do anything. Ooh. She did want to die, though. Which I can always appreciate the will to die. <laughs> I can always relate to that. As a millennial, I often think of her her unnerved will to die. Okay, but let's let's try to let's try to get this in a little bit of an order. Let's go back to the beginning. The beginning is basically it's just Anduin and Westfall, right? Which I thought was wild. I was like, whoa, like we're getting Westfall in like a book form and the king is there? Like when's the last time a king was in Westfall? Um I do not remember, but the book started off, as you said, he was riding, riding through Westfall. I also felt it was interesting that they described the way that Westfall looked post-Cataclysm. Like, it described the giant tornadoes, which, I don't don't know, it's just weird reading this. Are we still doing that? Like, ten years later? I guess that actually maybe tells us when the last time like King was in Westfall because the Andaman was like, oh my God, the cataclysm has torn apart this place. Like, yeah, dude, that was like four expansions ago. Where the hell have you been? That's true. He was also a child for a lot of it. It's it's right down the street. It's so close. <laughs> also, I don't know what reason he would have to be there. And he, the reason he, he now has was to, so he has confusing. to go visit Tushu Lu's grave, like the rest of us do. <laughs> Not gonna lie, when they were riding and they heard like a giant explosion and screaming, 
uh, I turned to to slide and I was like, oh no, is it too Shulu? But yeah, it was just Anduin being like, here are the poor people. I'm going to help the poor people. <laughs> it was very, very Anduin. That entire but... chapter was just sort of set up for like one of the homeless people to say the name Sylvanas. And then he proceeds to try to break a fence. And then the chapter keeps going and he just keeps trying to break that fence. Which I was like... I mean, I, I get I get it, like, narratively, but it was just kind of silly to me that he's like, I'm going to increase the pressure on this fence. Until <laughs> yeah. it snaps. <laughs> it was, like, dur- a few times during this book, that was the first of them, where it showed that I don't really know what the point of it was trying to show, but I, the way I took it was that Anduin is struggling to contain his emotions, and particularly rage. Yeah, because yeah, he, he's what... always been such, like, a golden baby boy that now that he's just like unequivocally mad like his dad, it seems foreign to him. And I wonder how much of this is just like naturally Anduin growing into being a king or how much of this is like Nazoth targeting him when he had him had those visions or whatever of Stormwind. So I wonder mm-hmm. if it's like an after fact of like that. In addition to that, that also plays into the fact that he is a priest and possibly is dealing with void of his own. Which we see, I think, at near the end of the book, when he, like, mm-hmm. starts to channel some purple energy for, like, the millionth time into his hands. And I'm like, uh-oh, this boy's gonna void snap on us in Shadowlands. And so then, what? It went from there, and then we kind of went to the Horde side and saw, like, their council or whatever that's going to be replacing their war chief. Which I think is hilarious, that it takes, like, nine of them to run a fucking country. When we just need one. <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, but notably, there are a few things that were shown here. First, I noticed that Kalia and Lillian Voss were both there to represent the undead. Which is crazy that Lillian's even there to begin with, because she's said basically like before, I don't want to rule and I want to do nothing. Also, and she kind of said that again in this book. The complete no-sell from Kalia, like, the, I, sh- I've seen her... During the lore of Battle for Azeroth, I've played the game. This happens immediately after Battle for Azeroth, and she's just there. I don't remember her ever saying anything about joining the Horde, unless that's something you see on the Horde side of the story. But, like, here she is, and she's pretending like she's been here for a while. So I'm thinking that we're going to get something maybe in pre-patch about this, because I also thought it was weird. The last time we saw her, uh, she was... They revived her. The last time I remember seeing her was when you, Derek Proudmore, and Jaina were meeting with her somewhere in Stormsong Valley, and mm-hmm. they were talking. This is the infamous, uh, we saw Kalia wearing a diaper, uh, and she basically said that she felt like she kind of was responsible to lead them because a lot of the undead were her subjects, kind of. Now, is this, I, I was looking at the WoW.Gamepedia article for Shadows Rising to see what they had, and they actually have some interesting information that says, Rue insisted during meetings with the writing team that Shadows Rising couldn't be something that players would have to read, and there are some events which were excluded from the book as a result. So, hmm. it seems like 
we they might fill in the blanks between now and Shadowlands with exactly how Kalia comes to lead the undead and probably every other piece of information that happens in this book. So that's interesting. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I kind of got the impression that Kalia may not officially be leading them yet, but Lillian Voss mm-hmm. was kind of bringing her there to like get her feet wet kind of like oh introduce her to the horde being like this is kalia eventually she'll be leading the undead type deal like her first day on the job type thing yeah she's like the transition team leader for kalia like this is where we keep the coffee this is where we keep all the cleaning supplies this is the Vulpiran leader who I forgot existed. This is the Vulpiran race who I also forgot existed. And this is fucking you know what? Firepaw who shouldn't fucking I was, be there. I was, cu- was going to try and jump in with a joke about the Vulpiran leader. I forgot his name because I remember I they said it once. And I remember being like, it's not the Dolly and Dot lady. And that's all I thought about him. I think it was like Hero or something like that. Like with like an, Vero. Like, or uh, something like that. I don't know. It's funny. I'm, I'm looking at a list here of all the characters that were in this book, and I don't see him in main, major, or supporting. So maybe he's Shit. in... Oh, he, Kiro. <laughs> His name is Kiro. He's in minor. Uh, I he mean, was I guess very that's, minor. That's, that's more than fair. He only had one speaking line. And I think it was kind of a joke being like, haha, they're new. They don't understand like how things work here yet. I think it was like a joke about like him offering food to the undead and the undead are like, we don't eat. You know, it took me three rewinds of the audiobook to figure out what his fuck up was. I was like, what did he do wrong? I don't understand. He's offering them. Oh, he's offering the dead people food. I get it. I get it. So fucking Kiro's a loser. We established that. You know what's interesting? They never talked about Gayara. Gaiara wasn't mentioned at all. There was no um, leader of the... What are they fucking called? Nasty Orcs, Mag-har Dirty orcs. orcs. Yeah, I think she was the only Horde leader that was not present. And I don't know if like she was just there but was not mentioned or if this was on purpose or what. I don't know. Well, she was one of the major supporters of Sylvanas. She supported her in like, yeah, we need to take action. We need to do this. We need to do that. Maybe she's just feeling stupid and was at home just like, I'm going to wait a little bit before I come out again. You got to really feel for the Maghar orcs because they are such a sub group to like the main orcs because the main orcs are like the big people of the horde and Maghar orcs are just them but brown like you can make the argument that like Kul'tirans are just humans but they physically look different so they feel different but Maghar orcs are just like different orcs it also helps that the Kul'tiran humans are the NPCs you see in this expansion Mm-hmm. But okay, back to the story. What was happening at this meeting? They were just talking about, I don't know, we got to get it, so It was just it. like infrastructure and shit. It was just like, we're go- it's going to be a tough time. And I know the big thing they were talking about was Thrall kept showing up and then everyone kept giving him big goo goo eyes. And he's like, I'm not the leader. I'm one of few. I just want to fucking sit in the background, eat my ramen. Please make choices without me. Don't make me do this. And is this the meeting where Talanji makes a stink? She's a, she made a stink, I would say, in like three-fourths of this book. She made yeah, a big Talanji, stink all over. <laughs> Talanji is the epitome, the personification of making a stink. That's true. Her main story arc in this novel is that 
She is mad because she felt as if, you know, the alliance led by Jaina Proudmore, who is her self-proclared arch nemesis. And meanwhile, I'm like, does Jaina even remember who she is? Probably not. But she feels like the Horde just let the alliance kill her father, destroy their kingdom and Daza, and she hasn't gotten any reparations. So she felt like it was really one-sided, like her people joined the Horde, but then didn't get anything in return. And now she's like, I don't even want to be part of this anymore. And then it, it gave us our first taste of Apari. I guess the Alliance's first taste of Apari. I don't know if she's mentioned at all on the Horde side of like the war campaign. She has I to, checked. Right? She is not. She is Whoa. In, in in classic book and this is not me putting down the books. I know they they have to do this because of the nature of them. But in classic book style, she is an NPC introduced here and the, the end of the book. But it's this is you don't have to feel bad for not knowing who she was before this. I just figured she was. As far as I know though, she is the daughter of Yasma, right? And so mm-hmm. the widow's bite type, like insurrection, was kind of present in the Horde War campaign. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just don't think it had that name yet. Yeah, so Yasma was leading kind of a coup against Talanji and her kingdom in the war campaign, and then this kind of takes it further, where Apari kind of tries to pick up where her mother left off. And then with also with a personal vendetta against Talanji in particular, because the two of them, I guess, were childhood friends growing up, and she trusted Talanji 100, and then she felt betrayed by her. Yeah, I, I, I felt bad that I was like, who the fuck's Apari? What's wrong with her leg? What's up with this? And then by the end, I was like, oh, I wasn't supposed to know any of this until the end of the book. It was set up like that. But I thought maybe like, I was like, oh man, the Horde players must really love us Apari and her bum leg from the Battle of Desaralor. To be fair, they did explain in detail a lot during the early part of this book about how gross Apari's leg was. And I was like, okay, gross. She has like some weird tumor on her leg or something. She also had a cute little pet that she carries around all the time. Uh, I don't, <laughs> I am very glad that the end of the book happened to that thing. Any, every time there was a widow's bite or a pari chapter, I was like, don't fucking mention her dread tick. I don't <laughs> like thinking about it. And it's like, it bumped against the body with its bulbous blood gorged form. And I'm like, oh, and Not- the worst part, the, the worst part was when Talanji was in the battle in the last scene, and the fucking tick flew. She's like something flew from Apari's shoulder. She couldn't see what it was, and then all of a sudden, it was on her face, and she couldn't even scream because the blood tick's body was blocking her <sighs> mouth. And I'm like, Ugh! <laughs> Ugh. I was literally about to say not to jump ahead to the end of the book, but when that thing attacked Talanji on the face, I literally screamed. It was so fucking nasty. (laughs) And Horde players are just like, yeah, that's par for the course. That's us, baby. (laughs) That's the kind of shit we're into. (laughs) Well, I guess it is a blood troll, and they hate blood troll stuff, but, you know, some of those nasties love that shit. But anyways, uh, this is such an incoherent, I'm very drunk, but we're jumping around. We kept mentioning Apari. She is the leader of the Widow's Bite which is I th- we I mean we've mentioned her in previous episodes but is a faction that is against the Zandalari Empire 
because of stuff that happened during Daza. And during these early chapters, she attempts to kill Talanji. And that is the little bit that we covered like 20 episodes ago. Yeah, it was like one of the first snippets, yeah. Yeah, where our boy Zakan, Zakan, Zappy Boy, takes him out. Yeah, and we were really confused about the context of like what forced him to move and bump the poisoned glass of wine and save Talanji. But then literally in the next page after the excerpt in, in the novel, uh, one zombie's like, oh, ha, ha, I uh, shoved him. I also love how unconfident the assassin was. They were like, what do you have there? And he's like, oh, it's just it's just wine, I swear. It's like, uh, okay, dude. Obviously yeah, you can, you can definitely tell that she sent like, like going up the scale of her army. <laughs> like she was like, first attempt, <laughs> send the C team. I don't need them to be good. I just need them to be able to, I don't know, hold a goblet of wine. Send a message. Every time Talanji was in battle in this book and she cast like, like a holy barrier thing. I'm like, oh yeah, she's a priestess. I forgot. That's cool. It, it literally took me immune telling me she was a priest to be like, oh, she's a priest, right? I was like, oh yeah, yeah she's like I magic and I Lola and whatever. I assume she was just one of the faction leader made up ones. Like how it'd be like, yeah. oh, what is Vol'jin? He's a shadow hunter. Like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> what the fuck is a shadow hunter? I mean, uh, realistically, isn't that like a Warcraft, like old Warcraft class? Yeah, I it don't is. Fucking still, know. I think it is. I, I don't know. I haven't played Warcraft. It's like how Varian was every single warrior spec at the same time. Like, when you get to lead your people, you don't have to adhere to the class structure anymore. But then after all this happened, the, actually, I think the very next chapter was just Nathanos and Syra doing a like buddy cop routine where Nathanos is just like, let's sow chaos and fake news in the Empire. And I'm like, OK, Donald Trump, calm the fuck down here, Nathanos. Yeah. So they're literally after this assassination attempt went into Zandalar and were like, yeah, we're going to tell everyone that the Horde tried to kill Talanji to get them all against the Horde as well. Which I would say is still technically true. Nathanos was Horde for way longer than he wasn't Horde. And he's still the Horde in my heart. Because they're all bad guys. Amen. I just felt like a lot of the tactics used by... I don't know if we have an established name. But let's just say Sylvanas' people. I feel like a lot of the tactics used by them were kind of silly billy. Because there were so few of them. Like it was like... I'll prepare the Dark Rangers to shoot down some guards every so often. Sira, go spin rumors. Go tell some Zandalaris some bullshit. Yeah, and then meanwhile, like all Sira cares about is killing and killing and more killing because it's the only thing that makes her less upset. Yeah, which I'm I'm kind of glad we got clarification on like Sira's motives. Because before it was like, why the fuck would Sira choose to side with the people who killed her? But in the end, she kind of makes it clear that she didn't really have a choice. That just being raised as undead gives her that thirst for killing and just the only way to satisfy it. She literally said, I did not choose to return and I would never choose to return. I want to die, but she can't. So all forsaken are evil. You hear that tracer with an extra R? 
You're yeah. a bad guy. Also, but also, yeah, the 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 fucking Dark Rangers. They did have very like silly, really bad guy tactics. They literally used children as human shields. Yeah, it's, they it, did. It, it, I I hate to say it because so many horde players will be like, they're not our people anymore. That's away from us. But I keep hearing like, yeah, like Nathanos and Sylvanas's people use those tactics. I was like, <laughs> very horde of you. Well, at least. The alliance isn't completely clear because fucking Torellian and Illyria were hey, out fucking, there lighting those, up those are, <laughs> those are free agents. I don't... Fuck it. Gralina doesn't know them. No, they are not free agents. We have statues, statues of them in Stormwind, and I am 100% glad we do. We need people with balls to go out here and fuck the horde up behind enemy lines. I would have terrorized that orc woman the same fucking way Illyria did. Fuck them for being tight-lipped, not speaking bitches, and holding secrets from Dark Rangers from us. Also, can we just say that, like, fuck Jaina for being a snitch? Yes. Okay, okay so, so, so it, it, it Okay, so it didn't help that the last book I read was asynchronous. It was during Mop when she was, like, blood crazy. But she was like, I'll never trust the Horde. And then the next book I read, she's like, hmm... You used void magic to get a truth out. Well, I don't know about that. I'm going to tell. And I'm like, Jaina, j- literally just a <laughs> just an expansion ago, you were so pissed at the Horde and so ready to kill them, you yeeted yourself out of the entire story. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, right after she spills the beans to Anduin, and he's like, uh... They're doing what I asked them to do. They got results, Jaina. What's your problem? Then she like goes on this like monologue about how she used to be the way you were just describing. And then she had some like deep reflection and she finally got out of that dark place of hatred that just drove her into madness. So like it was a little bit explained, but yeah, it, that is a I weird was, juxtaposition to have to see. I was so happy that, yeah, she snitched to Anduin that... For explanation, Turalyon would. <laughs> this sounds bad, but they only did it to like two people. Turalyon would lock them down with light chains, and then Illyria would fuck their mind with the void. But she told Anduin about that, and Anduin's like, "Yeah, that's what we gotta do." Also, they weren't talking. They tried niceties for like hours, and just because Illyria, I guess also. Illyria can do this? She can enter your mind Yu-Gi-Oh style and walk around it and fucking take what she wants from it? That's crazy. <laughs> she, can, she can send a VHS tape to your door like, get ready for the Shadow Realm. Yugi boy. But also, so like, it's, we've heard about this in the game, but like, in reading it in the book or hearing it in the audiobook, I feel like that was the first time it felt this scary and creepy. The description of Illyria's whispers in her head. They're like, kill, oh. kill, kill. Yeah, there was Get one part him. in the audiobook where the fucking, like, the narrator, who's Solange, she was doing so fucking good at being creepy. Like, the I, I haven't read the book yet, but I'm like, what did they even write for this? Because the, the whispers at one point just went, and I'm like, what the fuck is this noise they're making? What do they even want? Or they're just like, bah, bah, bah. I'm like, huh? Dude, the void's fucking terrifying. So, anyways, they 
finally interrogate this orc woman into telling them that this group of who who were these people? They're just like people traveling, and then one of the dark rangers who was injured happened to um yeah, join their caravan. And then, and then a forsaken apothecary, a priest, uh fixed her arm. And then as soon as our gang heard that, they're like, you're fucking going to jail. What a shitty... Okay, so in, in the beginning, I thought that, that the Dark Ranger was Sylvanas. And so when they were like, she fell off her horse and broke her wrist. I'm like, Sylvanas broke her wrist riding a horse? But oh, that- I didn't even think that at all because I'm like... Well, first off, Sylvanas wouldn't be riding a horse. She can like apparently fly and teleport across yeah, the Yeah, she can florp everywhere. But then it was like, oh no, a dark ranger. And I'm like, a dark ranger fell off her horse and broke her wrist? Aren't they supposed to be expert riders? How the fuck are they falling off their horses? My to absolute be fair, when favorite we're introduced to her is, later, she is kind of derpy. <laughs> my absolute favorite is that this is the first time that I thought about the fact that dark rangers are forsaken, which means they don't heal. <laughs> because you hear about that broken wrist, she's like, yeah, I fucking snapped my hand off. <laughs> I'm fucked. Oh, speaking of Forsaken not healing, this is, like, out of order now, but I don't really feel like it goes in anywhere else. But can we talk about that, like, chapter where Nathanos just explains how he was made? Well, there's a comic about that. There's a comic where about (laughs) how he was made. So it was was everything that made me sit down and read it once long, long ago when I googled what Nathanos used to look like, and I was like, why is he hot now? And he made me read it. Yeah, he stole his cousin's hot bod. And he was like, this is my body now. But also, so I really I really want to understand the limitations of Bonswamdi's power. Because Bonswamdi came to Nathanos to fuck him up. And he was like, it's me, your cousin, Louis. And Nathanos is like, oh, fuck, it's cousin Louis. Oh, my God. But it's like. How much information from the Shadow Realm can Bonswamdi access that he can be like, I know what you did, what happened to your cousin. I know you're a body snatcher. Like, how can he, like, he's, he's a troll, Loa. So he, he does mostly with mm-hmm. trolls, but how far into, like, other realms of, like, races can he reach? Well, I mean, I feel like this book alone proves that he can do it for trolls, he can do it for orcs, and he can do it for humans and undead, I guess. Okay, but was... Was the orc vision real? So Bonswamdi made a deal with Zakan where he would he would show him a vision um, of a death if Zakan agreed to help him convince Talanji to join the horde that she was already Which, in. <laughs> I feel like we're, I feel like we're jump we're jumping all around when when Talanji decided to go back home. Thrall sent Zakan, aka Zappy Boy, to go be the horde emissary. Continue. Also, side side note, you you call them Zappy Boy, but this book also made the Zappy Boy title canon because Bonsamdi actually called him Zappy yeah, Boy. And then fucking Wowhead had a whole article about it. Yes, about a about I a one oh. about a one sentence throwaway joke, and I'm like, thanks, Wowhead. I know it's between expansions, but really, you got to waste time writing oh. this up. Yeah, Slide was telling me that he was spoiled on that too, and somehow I avoided it, but. I was really glad that I avoided it because it just felt like fucking it was cool the, ro- to read. the robot in guild chat put it in the guild chat. 
Yeah, I'm glad you had to have a good time immune seeing it because I, I, I literally read the article. I was like, oh, what, what's happening on my head? Zappy Boy's canon, what? And then literally the next five minutes of the audiobook were Bon Swamdi saying Zappy Boy. And I'm like, God fucking damn it, I was so close. That would have been so cool. Anyway, so where were we? We are crazy jumping around, but we're yeah, hitting all the, all the I'm, meaty tidbits. I'm drunk. But we're talking about. Um, we're talking about the vision that Bonsamdi gave Zakan about. Ah, yes. So basically, he was like, "Listen, I'll, I'll I'll show you some vision of death. Blah blah blah. You do this for me." And then he just showed him, like he kind of transported Zakan into the mind of Sarfang. Almost it seemed like where his eyes were just Sarfang's eyes, and he was seeing like his his golden fields of uh, Outland or whatever, whatever Draenor, and he was with his son Draenosh, and they were hunting and. Basically showing that Sarfang is living a happy life in the Shadowlands or whatever. But I'm like, excuse me, that can't be a real vision, right? Sarfang died very recently, and we know that the machinery of death mm-hmm. is broken. So Sarfang is definitely not on these fields. Unless... No, yeah. Whoa, it's wait a Sylvanas, minute. Sylvanas has been doing Shadowlands shit, I thought, since mid-Legion, which means Sarfang's soul is definitely Maw. So, no, the, here's the thing. Later in the book, like, we're jumping again, I guess. It's revealed. Or, sh- or should I just, like, or should we just go in or, like, order and get to this eventually? Or should I just throw it in now? Just throw it in now. We're already here. Yeah, Boy, I feel like we're, 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 fucking, we're jumping around. Let's do it. Okay, so later in the book, uh, Zappy Boy basically dies. And. Whoa, okay. And he. Oh, 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 is I didn't like, know you'd be doing that. Shit. No, because we're talking about the machinery of death. No, and, I'm just joking. Um, when Zombie saves him from dying, actually pulls him up, and then when Zombie's like, oh, what'd you see down there? As in, like, he, like, when Zombie doesn't even know exactly how the mechanics of death are broken. But basically, when Zappy Boy was dying, he saw chains, which means that the jailer, he basically saw all these other souls being dragged down into the maw so then Bonsamdi was saying that basically everyone who has died has been sent to the maw besides people who he personally saved from going to the maw and I don't know what that necessarily means but maybe Sourfang was one of them well okay now here's another question so we know that the machinery of death is broken now Sarfang is one of the most notable warriors to ever exist. And we know when warriors die, Odin has them ferried to Valhalla. Or what's it called? It's called Zephalhalla? It's, it's basically called Valhalla, whatever it's actually called. So how does that interact with this? Do you think maybe Odin had a Valkyr snatch up Sarfang to bring him to like his best life up above? And to live his best life up that there? That would make sense. Because how does he because, interact? Pe- because Bonsamdi apparently has some sort of like, he has some sort of influence before you go to the general dead section. So maybe Odin also has that? Maybe like Helia also has that? Are there like minor death lords that get that can expend some power to claim your soul before the jailer gets them? There honestly, there there has to be, and I didn't even think about how Odin's role played into the Shadowlands really that much until now. So I bet you we're gonna see a fucking tall ass boy come back and <laughs> mess with some more shit. 
Fuck. I feel like it only makes sense. He's definitely related to everything that's going on. But my first general thought was, Bonswamdi is showing Zakan a false, a false representation of what Sarfang's doing right now. Because I feel like Sarfang is not in a field of, of gold, is what I, my first reaction was. That makes sense to me, too, because everyone's like, oh, he's the Lobo of Graves, but he's also a trickster. So I was like, okay, so he's playing a trip trick on mm-hmm. him in order to get him to do his bidding. But then Zakan was also just like, well, this is what I wanted to do anyways. The Horde sent me literally to do the same thing that you're asking me to do. Okay, so obviously, if you've read the book, you know that we are 100% all over the place. But I don't know any better way to talk about the book other than just going by chapter by chapter. Which would take us forever. So, sequentially, we last left off where? At Illyria and Turalyon torturing Horde people. After that, Jaina snitched. Then after that, Anduin said, nah, it's fine. What happened after that? Just a lot of internal Zandalari business. Not even Horde, just Zandalari business. We get a lot of back and forth between, like, Zakan shows up as the Horde guy for the Zandalari. Apari shows up and she's like, we need to... Okay, so there's a thing where they're like, we need to kill Bwansamdi. And her her leg abscess is killing her day by day. She's like, I got like... She got like, I got about... I got about a week to live. So they're about to kill everyone that is at a shrine to Bonsamdi, and then they just do that. They just do that. Yeah. That that's like a lot of the book is just they just do that. Right. And um Nathanos and Sira and I guess by default Sylvanas were also in on this as well. The Dark Rangers were teaming up with the Widow's Bite in order to take down Bonsamdi's followers in order to weaken Bonsamdi so that they could kill him himself. Which like we talked about that excerpt in a past podcast as well smack dab in the middle of all that is apari who kidnapped um the general who's i believe the father of the lesbian troll right is that the same guy oh shit we didn't even talk about that there's a there's a there's a lesbian wedding everyone and talanji says it's cool which means everyone says it's cool pride wins yeah but then right after like talanji says yeah that's cool then the father of one of the trolls who is going to get married gets kidnapped and then gets blood sacrificed by Apari. Now, I'm not saying he deserved it, but he did sound like he was kind of creepy towards Apari. <laughs> he was like, nice slender arms you have. And I was like, ugh, creep. You but heard she- it here, folks. He was, it was okay that they killed him because he was weird about arms. <laughs> no, it's not what I said. But so he, she, they kidnapped him when they were trying to assassinate Talanji or when the rebels are doing whatever there in Zandalar. And so she sacrificed him. And in a very gross, almost vor esque way, she basically has his soul living inside of her stomach. And this is the, the thing that powers her to be able to create this massive storm to stop anybody from coming to find them. And she literally was like, she always knew that she never wanted to have kids, but the storm inside of her, the spirit of the general, felt like a child inside of her. I'm like, ugh! Apari is gross in so many fucking ways. I hate it, but also I kind of love it. 
Yeah, so bouncing around again, this storm basically was supposed to encapsulate all of Zandalar so that no ex- uh, outside forces can come and interfere with them taking down Wansamdi and killing Talanji. And this was also happening when Flynn and Shaw were en route to Zandalar, correct? Yeah, this is what made them almost have that kiss as they crash into each other's sweaty, drunk bodies. I I hate I hate to be that guy. The Flynn and Matthias Shaw chapters were just sort of set up to be like they got really close and they almost got gay. And then the storm drove the gay away. So like I, I really like that they had, like, a gay, like, couple, but I just find all romance in, like, books like this boring. So, I, I was just like, I get it, I get it, like, they're gonna fall in love, but can we please speed it up? It's so long. I also, like, well, I don't know, <laughs> maybe this is just actually accurate gay romance, but they fell for each other as they were talking about their parental drama and... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my grandma was hung. Well, my grandma was almost hung, but then she said that she would help Stormwind assassinate murderers. So like, what? My what grandma made sure that I was forever cursed, so I have the deeper, darker backstory. Fuck, I want to kiss you right now. <laughs> That's basically what happened. That's what made Shaw fall for Flynn, hearing about his gr- <laughs> Flynn's grandma being hung. I was like, what? I'm sorry, being hanged, not hung. Also, it was his mom. Well, whatever. They're, they're, she was old. Also, I, I hate I hate to call out my my good friend Madeline Rue, but <laughs> that was just, it was like so. Obviously, he told about his mom being hung, and then when later Shaw gets <laughs> whisked away, it, it, it was it was like he told him about his mom being hung. His mom, she was hanged. <laughs> He told him. I couldn't believe it. I was like, okay, move on to the next chapter, please. <laughs> what a hung mom. <laughs> Gross. She's got a solid nine or eighter there. But basically, after they crash, uh, they collide with the Widow's Bite slash Dark Rangers, and Matthias gets kidnapped by them, basically, right? No, he gets, he gets kidnapped by the Zandalari throne. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then they they assumed that they that they were just there to spy, which they kind of were, I guess. Yeah, and then they locked them up in a jail that also was made of gold, which was pretty cool. But it was just him being like, hey, guards, what's up? I kind of feel like I really liked Matthias's and Flynn's, like, involvement. But I also feel like in the grand scope of things, it didn't really matter that much in, like, what was happening in the book. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Unlike what was happening in Nordrasil, where uh, Thrall <laughs> was met by a member of the Earthen Ring. He's like, Thrall, my Earthen Ring, bro. And Thrall's like, please, not here. No, I'm not here. Don't talk about me here. And they're like, come with me. The spirits were screaming. And he brought Thrall and... Oh, wait, was it G? It, yeah, no, it was it Thrall. Was, it, no, it was, it was Kalia and it was Bane when yeah. they first oh, met yeah. with the, the denizens of Nordrasil. Yeah, so he took Thrall, Bane, and Kalia to go meet with fucking Taronda Be- in Nordrasil. Which, so like, which, which, by the way, he brought those two because, quote, they'd be the most sympathetic at that moment. 
which is a horrible reason. Why would you because bring- he, he he brought the leader of the Forsaken because like well fucking they're the bad guys. He brought the leader of the Torrents because like well they're the nice guys at the Horde. You would never be mad at a cow, right? So this chapter, the meeting between. So it was Tyrande, Melfurion, and Shandris meeting up and, with... And uh, Maeve. Oh, yeah, yeah, I always forget about her. Sorry, but it was the most awkward encounter ever. Like, basically, Thrall approaches them, has a speech, and is met with complete silence. He has another speech, he's met with complete silence and a few glares. He has another speech, and it's like awkward silence again and then Chandris is like oh okay i need to say something to break this awkward silence honestly i feel like this interaction made me pick so when i play wow i have a bunch of alts and i feel like i don't really have a main race i feel like my main race is officially night elf because the fucking face Taronda fucking gave them nothing and then she ass blasted them so many times in that conversation This is going to be a serious moment in Do Not Relent history. Oh, shit. Oh, God, what? Taronda is no-sell. Made the Night Elves okay in my book. Oh, fuck. I was reading that chapter. I was like, fuck, yeah. Taronda was not giving an inch, and she was just staring at them, frowning with her dark black eyes until she was like, you get me Sylvanas's head? Or we have no business. And I was like, you know what? Tarande, you're okay in my book. And like even more shocking to me, like that was really shocking and I was living for it. But even more shocking to me was Thrall was like, yeah, okay, I'll bring you her head. And I was like, how the fuck is Thrall going to kill anybody? Fuck you, Thrall. You can't do shit. You're always the person to fall over can't in a battle. can't fucking kill a fell lord, <laughs> let alone Sylvanas, you piece of shit. But fucking, I feel like so. I feel like Taronda was like every talking point I had when talking to like Papa Cheese or Tracer, where it's like, but they killed tons of Night Elf children. They murdered people. And it's like, no, it wasn't all the Horde. And she was like, bitch, was that not your war chief? Did you not have people following her who agreed to burn everything down? Uh, well, I wasn't really here. So, um, okay, Thrall, let's try. <laughs> Yeah, Taronda as Night Warrior is honestly kind of scary when Maiev is offering, like, the, like, easy way out. And I'm like, Maiev, what the hell? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> like, she's like, <laughs> we should be reasonable. I'm like, you? You want to be reasonable? You locked me up. You locked up Slide Whistle for, like, a thousand years. <laughs> <laughs> she's another character, which, like, her and Jaina both were like, yeah, we, we have been consumed by this in the past, and we are better now. But so in the same, almost the same chapter that um, this meeting happened, we also had a very interesting meeting with Bonswamdi and Talanji, where basically the, uh, so Sylvanas wants Bonswamdi dead. And one of the best ways to do that is to target his shrines and like blow him up. That way he has less followers because I guess you're killing the followers and there's no place to worship him. And Bonswamdi's dying. And as a result, so is Talanji because of the pact that Rastakhan made. Um, And so Talanji's basically like, Bonswamdi, listen. We are going to break our pact and not be together anymore if I save you. Deal or no deal? And he's like, deal, I guess. Because he's like, I need you to help save me. But then yeah, he was he's really like, upset he's like, about I it. Am, I am, but barely, they kept, 
comparing him to lesser and lesser visual things throughout the novel, be like, I am but the smoke of a candle right now. I need your help. I am but the wrapper of a five piece of gum. Okay, get out of here with your poor ass. Press me onto your binder and perhaps I shall stay. But Talanchi fucking was, she was a beast in this. She literally said, if I am to abandon my pride to the horde, then you will abandon this pack. My life is my own, tied to no others. And Bonsandi was pissed. And this part I fucking loved. He said, he was, he, he grew really big and he was like, reckless child of a reckless king. Consider yourself lucky that you're working with me and not anybody else. And then he said, Muzala would eat you alive. And Muzala is somebody who's been mentioned in like Loa wow wow lore for the longest time. And apparently even the fact that Bonsamdi said Musella's name made Bonsamdi flicker like in and out even more so than usual. Like this bitch is a strong fucking Loa and we're gonna be fighting this guy in Shadowlands in a dungeon. Didn't you already say we'd be fighting him in the other side? Yeah. If Bonsamdi can bring you back from death, what the fuck does Musella do? That's a good question. I'm really interested to see what the other side has. But it seems like at this point, Bonsfamdi agrees to the deal. He's just like, fine, bet, whatever, just fucking save me, bitch. And honestly, I don't mean to discount the book, but we can just continue to when that happens. Like, <laughs> like 10 or so chapters pass by, and the big thing that happens is like an assault starts on the main citadel of Buansamdi. Yeah, the necropolis is under siege mm-hmm. by Nathanos and the Dark Rangers and the Widow's Bite. Yeah, because in between that, I just kind of like talked through the book right now, or I thumbed through the book. It's like Jaina's dinner, where she's like, Illyria, you, you're nasty, whatever. And then it's like, oh, more Flynn Matthias making out on the boat, or I guess, sorry, not making out on the boat. But I think before we get there, we do need to cover one very important piece before the Battle of the Necropolis. Thrall goes to talk to Talanji, and he brings along a well-trusted friend and advisor. Everyone's fucking... (laughs) I think that Madeline Rue, accomplished author herself, has been listening to previous episodes of... Another pod, do not relent, because they were like, you know who has been made fun of for 80 plus episodes of DNR? G Firepaw. <laughs> I could not believe the amount of G Firepaw G Firepaw lore we got. The minute his name was first mentioned, I was like, ahaha, he's gonna be a throwaway. She gave this bitch a starring role. He did too much. I, I, I was I was reading this next to Cubby Bob, and I said they put G in it, and she said why, and I said I don't know. Yeah, and then not only does he have like some five star combat sequences, he also is like Thrall's shoulder to lean on and consoles him, and he's like, oh, it's okay, Thrall to Thrall. All I know is that the alliance is more well put together. Isa has not received this kind of heat. So I'm going to need her to show up in a mid-expansion novel in a major way. Okay, this 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 is really the part that tossed me for a fucking loop. They made a big deal. Did G not go to Stormwind? He did, right? He was in Stormwind. No. 
You mean like at the beginning of the like when you level as a Pandaren? Oh wait, he talked to Anduin on the boat in Zandalar, right? Not in Stormwind. Yeah, he he G has never been to any place that would treat him well. I'm just like what like this was their chance to like have him talk to Isa for the first time in wow, since Mob came out? Yeah, like, since, since she escorted him out on her shoulder being like, clearly the Horde doesn't love you. And here he is, years later, being like, Stockholm Syndrome is not a thing. I never thought that G Firepaw would talk to our king. <laughs> like, he literally had a conversation with him. I'm like, he's not fucking worthy. He's a dirty little bear. And so what? it was G and Thrall talking to Jaina and Anduin. On a boat near Zandalar, and Apari was making this big storm that was gonna hit him because she was like, oh, "I see the ice witch Jaina who broke my bum leg, and I'm gonna kill the storm." But Jaina teleported, and fucking Apari was like, oh, "How did she escape? How did she?" I'm like, "It's Jaina. She makes portals." But also, Jaina made a portal to Zandalar. How the fuck can she have a portal Jaina, to a horde Jaina city? We can't. Jaina cheats. Jaina cheats. I oh, can't do that shit. Why that. can Jaina? Yeah, it's bullshit. Honestly, after that, and it, <laughs> I'm going to say this with an air of, I do enjoy this book. Honestly, after that, we just kind of fast forward to the end, right? The assault yeah, on the Necropolis. Yeah, because, yeah, it's because then it's just like, oh, Flynn, or uh, not Flynn, Shaw's in prison, Sarfang's vision, we already talked about that. We're back in Stormwind talking about how Anduin's cracking under all the pressure, which is kind of a big thing. He's definitely cracking. He he needs, like, some kind of control soon. Yeah, and then he, like, there's a scene where he went out bar hopping in uh, Goldshire. Honestly, fucking not gonna lie, when grease he said... in his hair, <laughs> and everyone's like, wow, it's Jarek with his shitty, bra- shitty black hair. <laughs> like... So... Not gonna lie, when he said that he needed to release some steam and he was going to Goldshire, I was like, oh no, Madeline, where are you going with this? <laughs> I thought he was gonna fuck that barmaid. <laughs> He's entering Moongard. <laughs> hey, boys, or hey, ladies, because he, remember, he was flirting with a lady, so maybe it's breaking up our canon with Raffion here. Also, casually, Jaina was also at the bar. Yeah, Jane is like, you know what? I need a release too every once in a it's while. It's been like you 20 years since Arthas. She wants a good lay. Calic isn't responding to her calls anymore. After that, now we can talk about the battle at the Necropolis. I think we are officially there. One, one last, like, to tie things up. Basically, Talanji agrees to join the Horde and ask them for help. And then they formulate a plan where there is basically most of the Horde forces are going to split and attack the Necropolis from various angles to surprise the Widow's Bite and Thanos and the Dark Rangers. So I'm just going to say this about the battle at the Necropolis. There wasn't much of one. For, For a threat that was built up the entirety of the book, there, the Horde just kind of steamrolled them. Yeah, I mean, I guess it was a surprise attack. It was several surprise attacks. They didn't expect the Horde and that force to show up. They also didn't expect um, Apari's right-hand woman, Teo, to abandon her and go help the Horde. And it'd be like, yo, they set up traps right here. And then Thrall's like, oh, that's okay. We have these goblin tools to just get rid of them all. 
it's really odd that in a Thanos is just like, yeah, nobody would come help. And it's like, dude, like, do some recon to make sure. Like, I don't know. It seemed kind of amateurish for him to expect no one to help. And I'm like, the horde are right there. Like, they, they're here already. And I know she was a weird sub- subtlety witch with a bum leg, but fucking Apari, who is the bad guy this entire time, throws a lightning bolt. Talanji sets up a, like, no-you magical cylinder Yu-Gi-Oh shield, and then she just gets zapped, and that's it. Yeah, I... And I, I, I go back to, like, the fight between, like, alternate uh, Atheus Blackwell or whatever, the guy who enslaved Thrall, from Thrall aspect of the Earth, that book. That was, like, a multiple-chapter sword fight, and it was super cool. And this one, within a paragraph, it's like... Apari gets zapped by her own lightning bolt and then just dies. I mean, honestly, like, I th- they were saying that Apari was very weakened. As you said earlier, she only had a few days left to mm-hmm. live because of her wounds. I think you're right. Like, the scariest part of this fight to me, as I said earlier, was when the blood tick flew at Talanji. I, I, I also really felt disappointed that that's how Apari went out. I'm like, wait, so Talanji put up a shield... And it just so happened to shoot back at Apari. It didn't go any other direction. It, I don't know. I felt like she deserved a little bit better of a death, even though I just met her. Oh, I don't know. The one I was um, listening to the audiobook, I took it as she saw that Apari was launching a lightning bolt at her directly. And then she immediately decided to activate her trap card, her like mirror force. And then it reflected it back at her like, Immediately. You know what? Yeah, what the, what, uh, what uh, spell uh, does that? Side, side, side note, side note. I am glad that this podcast pulled out two trap cards that immediately <laughs> put your attack back to the attacker. I'm glad that we have that 2003 Yu-Gi-Oh knowledge. Well, I mean, once you pull out that man-eater bug, she killed her immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Apari so just- <laughs> limp, limped under the battlefield. It's like, I got a man-eater bug. <laughs> it's like, oh, fuck. Well, I mean, obviously, Talanji had to have something to, like, counteract the man-eater bug. So, because, like, it, it yeah. just <laughs> fell off her <laughs> face, right? Yeah, clearly the man-eater bug was on her face. I just, I really don't like that it was a defensive move that killed her. Instead of Talanji being like, I'm going to smite her. or I'm going to personally hit her with like something. It was like a, oh, I'm being attacked. It, it, it almost felt as an afterthought. Like yeah. Madeline Rue, I, I'm going to say she didn't have a plan. But like, it was like, we got to get rid of Apari somehow. Boing whip, the lightning bolt hits her in the face and she dies because she's like a sickly child. It almost read to me as if, like, Talanji didn't 100% mean to reflect it back and hit uh, Apari. So maybe that was on purpose? Yeah, it was just, like, weird, dumb luck that it happened to, like, shoot back at the source and, like, hit her. Because, like, it could have gone in any direction, right? Like, it's just a fucking barrier shield. It's not a inherently reflective, defensive, I'm going to shoot back at you mirror force. I don't know. But before that, Bane squished the blood tick. He, so as as the blood tick fell off Talanji's face, Bane was like, "Ugh, gross!" and was like hit it with his totem and smashed it. And then and like I the feel same like that was that that was such a non <laughs> interesting end to a character that we really got updates about every single time that Apari was mentioned. 
I mean, was this whole fight just to, like, no-sell Apari and her blood tick to be like, oh, they weren't really that big of a deal this whole time? I mean, which I guess kind of makes sense, because if Yasma, who, like, literally consumed a spider Loa to become a spider, was her mom, how could she ever be a spider Loa mom? You know what I mean? Like, she just kind of didn't amount to, like, Yasma. Um, but so... They kill Apari. Teo's like, oh, blah, 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 whatever. Who cares? Teo's lame. And then Sira is like, bitch, I'm not fucking stopping. And she is spinning around, attacking literally everybody she can get her hands on. And then Bane thwops her with the end that he killed the blood tick on and gets blood tick yeah, he, all he over the back of her head. He just her in the head, right? He just he yeah. gives her a good old, like, kabonk in the head. And she's like, oh, passing out now. Well... To be to be fair, she did actually hurt Bane. She like almost sliced his arm off. It seems, and and that is one where it was the numbers game. It was literally just Sira against every single member of like the Horde Council, and she yeah. was doing pretty good. Because at this point, the reinforcements were starting to arrive, and Sira looked back and saw that Nathanos had gone in to the. Oh, also, also, yeah, that's a thing that happened was Nathanos drinks a potion, question mark, and the drunk potion creates tentacles from the sky that splorp him up into a portal. So I was saying it sounds like Sylvanas just kind of gave him the hookup and gave him a hearthstone for Shadowlands already. And he's like, here, take this hearthstone and use it when you need it. And he's like, okay, it's gross and technically. Here I go. Yeah, it seemed to me like it was like some kind of thing like that. Maybe it was like a bottled void teleport or some direct portal to Sylvanas he, he, of he, some he, kind. He sniped a Diablo return to town uh manuscript and he was just like boop, 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 boop. well she didn't get to take advantage of it <laughs> we also kind of skinned over the fact so when Zakan dies he's literally saving children that the dark rangers were trying to kill he was in the tar pits and the dark rangers are shooting fire into the tar pits to burn up every troll there so he literally has kids on his shoulders and he's like oh, what do i do i can't get out of here and starfang's like you know what to do. Yeet those kids and get burned up to a crisp. It's like, okay. <laughs> Fucking throw those kids and die for nothing. That's the horde way. But it seemed like the jailer was pulling on him and Bonsoni was pulling in the other direction to save him. It was just, just like still crazy about how the Shadowlands is sucking in all of these souls until this. It, it, it reminds me of Hercules when all the souls are in the river sticks. Like, Oh, 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 we're gonna grab Hades and pull him down. After this battle at the Necropolis, Nathanos is like, yeah, I'm losing this fight, and then he leaves. And then they save one zombie, and Nathanos has to face Sylvanas at the end of the book. Unless there's something else we need to talk about first. Um. Well, there's... Okay, so the the biggest thing that I want to talk about, and I hate to call out my own gang like this, so at the very end of the book, Sira Nightglaive, Night Warden, whatever the fuck she changed her name to, is stuck in the Alliance prisons, and Anduin and Gen show up, and they're like, we're gonna break you. And guess where they keep her? The most break-outable prison of all of Azeroth, the Stormwind Stockades! 
Yeah, I mean, to be fair, she did clock it, too, because Taronda comes to visit her, and then um, Sierra's like, ha ha ha, look at this place, it's kind of let itself go, anyone can walk in and out, in and out of this place. And <laughs> when she says wrong. anyone, she means anyone. Baron Geddon, the giant flame elemental, snuck his way out of Stormwind Stockades. <laughs> they put her in there, and it's like, Sierra will be gone within a week. What are you doing? Kill her. But they don't. Taronda literally doesn't kill her, which I think is actually probably good. She Because even at the end, Taronda's like, she almost scared herself about how she could kill one of her own. And I guess they're going to try to work on Sierra and try to bring her She's back. She's not one of their own. She's a dirty forsaken. Take yeah, her but out. I'm like, what are they going to do with her then? Like, What's the plan? I think the plan was, in this case, literally just to show that Taronda is realizing that her bloodlust is something that needs to be controlled. And I don't know what the plan with Sierra going forward is. <laughs> Probably get broken free and we kill her again in a dungeon. Taronda says, I was cool for one book that Madeline Rue says you don't need to read. By the time you catch up with me in Shadowlands, I'll be lame again. Although, with what we know of Shadowlands, she basically yeets herself into the Shadowlands to personally go and kill Sylvanas first, so maybe she still has this bloodlust. I guess also before that happened, there's also Talanji and Bonswamdi making their deal about, she was like, we break this pact if I save you. I saved you, so... And he's like, so... And she's like, I guess I'll keep you around. I'm like, what? <laughs> Wait... So she's going to keep the power of Bonswamdi? Because they're not severing okay, the tie so between them. This may be me, who has not played the Horde campaign. Does she still have a skeleton hand? Because I'm pretty sure she still... This is besides the point. Does she still have a skeleton hand? I don't think so, no. I think she's now back to being regular, full-powered Talanji. But like, she's still tied to Bonswamdi. If someone attacks him again, she'll have a skeleton hand. <laughs> So the way I took it was that she soft agreed to kind of still have an allegiance to Bonsamdi, right? Because she yeah. said that you are still the Loa of Kings, but she will also consult other Loa on what to do still. So she's like, listen, we can be connected, but just fuck off every once in a while. <laughs> like, get out of here. <laughs> yeah, she's like, go, I want our go. relationship to be open. Go hang out with all of the other Loa who... Us as the Alliance have already killed all of their aspects. You should really go hang out with Gronk. Do you remember the last guy who really got into Gronk? We killed him third in the boss fight. <laughs> Apparently, like, that little girl who came to talk to Talanji in the last chapter of the book is like, I stand Gronk! Yeah, I hope so you still have all of him. All of Alliance, get ready to kill a literal child because she's all about Gronk. I'm fucking ready to kill Gog's child. There's also a very interesting tidbit on this Gamepedia page that says, the original draft of the book included the death of a significant character, but that mm -hmm. section of the novel was rewritten after the game's writing team decided they needed the character to come back in Shadowlands. Who the fuck did they kill? Did they I kill Zakan? Okay. 
Yeah, so I also said when I read this that I think Bane died in the original book because he's the only one who actually got injured in that last fight. So it would make sense that Sira maybe just killed him there. I, I, I think, wanna... yeah, they they killed him so that he can A, be there for the Torrin because the Torrin are so tumultuous and also B, be there to be like, I saw so many other realms. Oh man, if they would have killed Bane though... I think that really would have soured people on this book because Bane has not had a chance to do anything. And if they would have killed him in this book, which may be the reason why it was rewritten, that would have been so bad, I think. Well, so like, what's the other alternative of a main character that would have died then? Nathanos getting what he had coming to him. If they would have killed Nathanos, that would have been big. But they're like, you know what? We want the players to actually kill him in like a raid boss. So like, maybe we we'll keep him for there. Maybe yeah, that's a fair Sarah? point. Maybe Sira got It could have been Sira. It also could have easily been Sakan. That, that, yeah. Like, <laughs> the thing is, I feel like there's a lot of people who could have got killed because they were important in this book. And I don't see them being important in Shadowlands besides being like, a bonus thing. Like, I don't think Sira, I don't think Sakan are going to be important, but I feel like you need them to set up that, like, Shadowlands is important. I kind of agree with you. Maybe it was Sira that originally died, because when I was first listening to it, I thought she did die, just, like, with the brunt, like, force of being totem to the head in that one, in the fight. I was like, oh, she dead. Because she, she also, what, she cut Bane's arm, right? He's like, fuck you for cutting my arm. Here's a blood tick totem to the head. Thwop. So then, what, the final, the, the epilogue is Sylvanas atop Ice Crown Citadel with Nathanos' tentacle hearthstone bringing him right to the top of it. Well, okay, so first off, the epilogue starts with basically the cinematic of Sylvanas taking the Helm of the Dominator and destroying it. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, I broke the crown and the lord of ice crowns. He's nothing. He's not even worth killing, so I'll leave him alone. Idiot. Mistake, Sylvanas. Yeah, that's she She gonna die now because Bolvar gave us the 411. And then it's just Nathanos being like, oh, I failed. And she's like, well, this is going to be hard, but I guess not impossible. I mean, and then she left and she's like, I don't care where Nathanos is. Yeah, she was like, go back to your house and just wait. But don't be too idle. But wait, what does that mean? I, I don't know. And I don't think she cared because then she was literally just okay. like, <laughs> I don't know where he is and I don't so, care. Yeah, so literally the final sentence of the book is she did not know if or when Nathanos left. It mattered not. She had merged entirely with the shadows there already. Part of the darkness as last. She was like, I done played that stupid motherfucker until the very end. He's going to be some world boss you take out in what, 10.0? Got him. Nathanos will be blessed to be pre-patch, and after a couple months, you will never see him again. So there you guys have it. There is our very drunken all over the place <laughs> recap of Shadows Rising. Somehow between all of this you will have gotten a grasp of the book. And you know what? I don't feel so bad saying that you can listen to this before reading the book because I don't know how much of it we went over. I do think overall we pretty much hit a lot of the big points of the book. 
Whoa, I didn't even see this shit. So Noble87, who's on YouTube, he had an interview with Madeline Rue. And he asked a lot of questions. And one of the questions he asked about was the queer representation that we had. Rue confirmed that this narrative decision was one of the plot points that came straight from the top at Blizzard. It's not a wink-wink, nudge-nudge thing. She was told to get them together. It's official, says Wildhead. Hell yeah. Flynn and Shaw also appear together in the upcoming Christy Golden book, Exploring Azeroth, the Eastern Kingdoms. I'm very excited about that. So I wonder, since they'll have two book representations, I wonder how they will be shown in Shadowlands or pre-patch or going forward in the actual game. Well, so they have not been shying away with the whole, um, the guy in Shadowlands being trans. They are like, no, listen, we're not saying it's a possibility. We are saying he is trans, so deal with it. So it wouldn't surprise me if in-game they actually have them together in some kind of way, you know? I will say Blizzard has not been great at other things to be like, I I hate to say woke because woke is such like a corrupted phrase, but like Mm -hmm. 21st century, they're doing good work right now. I am very supportive of the inclusions that they've been making into Shadowlands into their current game. And like some people will say it is like, forced or out of place but it really isn't yeah like these characters have no lore if you can give them gay lore and affects literally nothing like matthias didn't have a wife there's no maria shaw so it's fine who cares do whatever you want or like as aaron said in the past how forced was mia gray man in general like well first of all i didn't know gen even had a wife until i saw her in bfa so who until knows? she died <laughs> <laughs> or wanted to now well i'll end the podcast with this and i'm sure i'll bring it up again next podcast Shadowlands beta is on right now and we know that anduin and all the other leaders are in prison in the mall right somebody is currently sitting on the throne in stormwind who's not anduin because he's been captured for so long who do you guys think it is? I mean, I, I think mean, it has to be Gen Greymane. He's like the second in command, right? I mean, he's like one of his main advisors. He's the one that's always been there. So that would be the thing that would make sense to me. I feel like who the other people who have been like traditionally around or like his advisors might be like Jaina. She couldn't do that because she has Colteris or mm-hmm. doing whatever the fuck she else she does. Okay, so I'm a little worried because I think now we're going to have alliance infighting. Apparently, this article from Wellhead says, <clears throat> Turalyon sits on the throne, which creates tension in data mine dialogue if he or Greymane is more worthy of the throne. Holy shit. Ooh, that is a disagreement because Turalyon is... I mean, he's he's like an old dude. He's been around, but Greymane has been more around in the last, like, 10 years. Right. What do you do? One is literally idolized as a statue for going into the Dark Portal and like, defending the Alliance back then. But Gen is our, like, he's current. He's been around for now. And the fact that Terrellian's sitting on the throne, who appointed him? Like, how does this work? How do we get here? That's a good question, and I hope they explain that. 
I feel like the only reason mm-hmm. in my mind why Trellian might be a better choice is because Gen is traditionally kind of hot-headed, but I agree that Gen is the one who has a better grasp on the current status of the alliance. So, also, I'm going to be fully biased. I want a Worgen king. Yeah, I mean, I I think I agree. Like, I would prefer Gen. I mean, I feel like he definitely represents the current alliance better. So is it only because Anduin gave Turalyon the title of High Commander of the Alliance Forces in the book? Remember, he appointed Turalyon that. You are High Commander of the Alliance Forces. Your task, and, your only task. And I, oh, shit. Okay, so I'm very surprised because back like 20 episodes ago, where randomly we got an excerpt of the book, it must have been like the very first thing they ever put about Shadows Rising. I predicted Turalyon to be dead at this point. So I am very surprised that he is still around. I feel like he's on the throne just because of his pedigree as being one of the guys that went into the Dark Portal. Or your prediction is very correct and he's put on the throne just to die on the throne. (laughs) Oh, fuck. Wouldn't surprise me. To throw the alliance into disorder. Ooh, Matthias Shaw has some input. He seems to indicate he'd think Gen would have been a better choice. Oh man, this is gonna be nuts. They're gonna be, they're gonna be fighting. They're gonna be scrapping. Trillian is is more level headed, so he has more of a kingly aspect to him. But I guess Gen literally is a king. But a king of what? Like what's a burning village? <laughs> yeah, a, a a king of a twice burnt down, destroyed kingdom king of rp gilnean servers well i'm sure we'll talk about this more next week because i do want to delve into this fucking dynamic more um i guess we should probably get out of here holy shit we're at an hour 30 fuck it's getting started early today if you have any comments questions complaints if you want to submit a short story to win a free book that we will put stickers or sign it we don't know what we're doing of uh, shadows rising Email us at do not relentpod at gmail.com or tweet at us on Twitter at do not relent.com. What about you guys? Where are you guys living in the interwebs? You can follow me, Alex or Immunization, on Twitter at New Era Alex, or you can follow our podcast Instagram account on the gram at do not relent. You can follow me, Aaron the Human, at the Big Cheesy on Twitter. And you can follow our literary musings at do notrelent.liejournal.com. My latest entry is about how capes gotta go. Holy oh, fuck those capes, man. I'm not even kidding. All right, but we'll see you cuties next week. And remember, another down. Do not relent. Do Not Relent is a podcast within the 3HNC network, representing U.S. Proudmore's premier podcasts. That was a very good wish.